0: everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 160. Wow, that's a lot of news. Recorded September 14th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and I am joined this week by my full panel of co-hosts, which of course includes your friends and mine, Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Morning
2: and salutations.
1: And welcome one, welcome all, welcome everyone.
0: That was redundant, redundant, redundant. <laughs> well, you know,
1: I try to uh, I try we, to we, come we, up with something just off the top of my head. How's that working? So I'm not for always you? saying the same thing every week. <laughs> and as you can tell, there's not a lot up there today. So,
0: all right, as the title in uh, implies, this is an all news episode. Uh, we've been giving news a short shr- shrift. Short shrift. We, we've been short. We've been not doing as many news stories lately, since we switched the format and put them at the end of the discussion, which is a good thing, because it gives us a deeper discussion and that's why we did it, but if we left, we're left. we left with all these news stories in the bucket, so some of what you hear tonight is uh, recent, some is holdovers, and um, I think he put 785 of them in here, so we're not going to do all of those either, obviously, uh, but uh, hang in, uh, stick around and listen to um, us babble about stuff that we don't know much about, because that's what we do. <laughs> uh, but before we go on, I, you know... It's fun that way. I mentioned, oh gosh, a couple of months ago, three months for some time back, the other day, as Aaron would say, um, that uh, I got a message from obi uh Obi, the the makers of the obi High device, saying that Google voice, voice support is going away, and I was looking for an alternative. And I never really found an alternative I liked. Uh, I decided I was just going to write it out and make Google cut me off and then figure something out well they didn't the date came and went i think it was march 15th that name rings a bell ides of march i probably not it uh that was the day uh when uh, the uh emperor was killed but i think maybe it was supposed to be the the date google voice was going to go off too but anyway um wow just bad tonight just bad um that day came and went, and Google Voice continued to work on my Obi device. And uh, so we've just kind of been waiting for the other shoe to drop. And this weekend, the other shoe dropped in the form of an email from Obi announcing that they are now partners with Google Voice. What the what? I mean, f- first it was going to be unsupported. Nice. And now they're official partners. Whatever. So um, the the good news is, if you've, been shy, if you've shied away from the OB device because you were afraid that Google Voice uh, wasn't going to be supported, now they're, they're bosom buddies. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, the OB is a very sm- small, very inexpensive, like $40 device that you can buy from elementop.com slash Amazon. It connects to your home's broadband internet connection and to a, uh, a, a telephone provider of your choice, in my case, Google Voice, which gives you... Free international call or free um, North America calls uh, in and out with a free phone number with voicemail and, and call waiting and all the stuff that Google Voice gives you all for a $40 one-time charge. Not $40 a month, $40 ever. And so Google Voice is, has been um, North America only. Now they're international. And so I think that's where the partnership comes in because OB is an international company. Now you've got all these devices all over the world and and so they're they're different rates depending on where you're calling but you know say five cents a minute or whatever. right um so now they're right online with like Vonage and they're they're trying to uh to capture some some of that uh that market which i think is great because it gives me free phone service so there you go mm-hmm. yay <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice that's awesome though i mean it'd be I'll have to take a look at Obi and see if it's something I want to try now. Yeah,
0: they make a couple of different models. They make one where you can route a regular phone line through it for like a, you know, uh, if you just want to add a second line and keep your, your other line, they make one that has two two phone numbers and and, and two outputs. So you just plug a regular phone into it, right, my regular cordless phone, and they have one that has two devices. So you can have two separate lines. Um, you could use one as like a free fax number google voice because it does that it's a it's an an amazingly uh, simple device it requires almost no power it's it's quiet there's two little blinking lights on it um and it uh uses you know it's it there's no heat no no very very little power no sound and it's a one-time fee for phones now the service is you know it's voice over internet quality so it's it's roughly analogous to a cell phone it's good enough it's fine um yeah so you get your, you know, your inbound and outbound calls. Um, you dial out and it says this is your, you know, the other person's caller ID sees your Google Voice number. And I've had the same Google Voice number for, well, since it became Google Voice when it went from being Grand Central. So I've had the number forever. Uh, and I wasn't looking yeah. forward to uh, to moving it or having to get a different number. Now I don't have to. So Google Voice is awesome. The Obi high makes it awesomer. <laughs> And nice. I
1: just want to point out, uh, I'm refraining from breaking into the Everything is Awesome from the Lego <laughs> movie when you, you said that.
0: You know?
2: Well, it's good, because we, we might get taken down.
0: <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, see, but that was enough for me to be singing it from now on. Um. So, Seth, you <laughs> finally finished your, your back-breaking labor of not so much love.
1: Well, that is right. You know, I've been... I don't remember if I've been lamenting on this show or just everyone else in my life about how my goats are gotten out and the tree had kind of fallen over and crushed the fence. And so, over the past few weeks, I've got the tree cut up. And last week, I was able to um, I helped somebody move in the morning, and then I drove home and uh, fixed the fence. So I re- I was a productive person on Saturday, and I got to say this: getting up before eleven o'clock on Saturdays, not a fan of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know it's it's funny how that changes once you have kids i slept until 10 on saturday for the first time in years i mean uh, the last time i did that i had a fever of 102 um <laughs> but it was just all the all the stars aligned the kids got up and went to play quietly and i didn't have anywhere to go and so i slept until uh 10 on saturday and it was amazing uh, but i remember the days when saturdays were for getting up at noon i just they're distant
2: yeah I'm, I'm lucky at I'm lucky. I still get to do that every every other every couple of weekends, depending on how things go. Friday night, because my kids are quiet players and they take care of themselves again. Of course,
0: I get up at, you know, four thirty on the average day, so sleeping late to me is eight. Yep. Uh, if I get to sleep till eight, that's I,
2: I'm with you. Right. I'm with you. Okay.
0: Uh, enough about that. Actually, that's way more than enough. Uh, I, I wanted to say if you've sent me an email or. A voicemail, or whatever, recently about the topic of the uh, file sharing show that we did two weeks ago. Um, there's been so much feedback about, about feedback about that, and so much of it is so good that we're going to do a follow up listener feedback show just on that topic. Uh, probably, cool. in, probably Sweet. in two weeks. So you've got that gives you some time. Those of you who are who are lagging behind and and haven't listened to that show yet, or if you've listened to it, had some thoughts and and haven't written them to me yet, you got two weeks. So on the twenty eighth, most likely. Is when we're going to do this show, and we'll we'll revisit the topic through your feedback and our responses to it. Because the I was worried that that topic would just devolve into um, you know internet flame wars, but that I you know I underestimated our audience. Our uh, audience is above that, and you guys proved me proved me wrong there, and I'm happy to be wrong. The responses were were well thought out. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with all of them, but that's fine. We don't have to agree. Uh, but they were well stated. They were well thought out. They were intelligent. And mostly people were saying, thanks for having an adult conversation about this. Because typically it's one of those things where you're either an advocate of piracy in the name of freedom or you're an advocate of tyranny in the name of, of the law. And very few people have ever just taken a real hard, long look at it. Very few people, in my experience, anyway, have taken a hard, uh, long look at it and said, what. What is right and wrong, not necessarily legal and illegal, and where do we draw the line? So it was a good discussion. We enjoyed it, and um, obviously you guys did too. So keep the feedback coming, and hopefully that follow-up show will be a very good show. Sweet.
1: Yeah, we could have – we could, who knows? This could even launch a spin spinoff, uh, you know, torrenting podcast or, uh, or whatever. Yeah, something. Maybe not.
0: Yeah. I, since you can't even <laughs> think of what we would call it, probably not going to be another show.
1: Uh, yeah Uh, sorry
0: (laughs) it's been a while since uh uh, the gui the the command line godfather stepped up and did a 30 day uh distro challenge but he's ready to go once more and your next uh challenge will be it'll be manjaro
2: i figured since we had the guys on for sonic the last or what was that three weeks
0: ago four weeks ago sometime in the past
2: yeah the The other day the other day, uh, I figured, you know what? I know it's based on Manjaro. We might as well give it a good old run. And I'm going to try it with the default install of KDE. And then I'll also go in and install um, the LXQT beta that they have available and see what I think of it. So that'll be coming in the near future.
0: All right. More cool. distro reviews, please. I've seen that comment a number of times. So here you go. Yeah. Uh, and this, I mean, and lastly, I just wanted to uh, mention a a member of our Everyday Linux family, uh, a listener by the name of Richard. Uh, he's written in a few times. Um, I follow him on Google Plus, and and he he and his wife are going through a tough time right now. And and I reached out to him and said, you know, basically, hey guys, I'm I'm praying for you. Um, and I I just wanted you to know that, and you know, you're you're in, I think England. And, and I don't really know you, and there's not a lot I could do. But I just felt that I needed to let you know that you're on my mind. Uh, his wife is is to put it not to put it bluntly, dying of cancer, um, mm-hmm. and is is to the point where she probably won't last the end of the month. Um, so you know, he I in his response to that was, I'd like you to let the the Everyday Linux audience know what we're going through um because he feels you know a kinship with this group as we all do that we like to say that we're you know we're we're a family and and so a member of our family is is in pain and he wanted us to uh, let you know i'm not going to say his last name i have a policy of not doing last names on the show um but richard for us uh yeah (laughs) well you guys signed up for it um Uh but Richard, we we our thoughts are with you. You know, I as I said, I told him that I was praying for him. He responded that he's not a religious guy and you know, so the prayers necessarily uh, aren't in his wheelhouse. So positive thoughts and energy, whatever it is that you do for people who are in pain, do it for Richard. Definitely. So that's all I have to say and about that. All hey, I, Mark, oh, well,
1: or go ahead, Chris.
2: I was gonna say the only thing I can say about that is cancer is evil. And I wish we could figure out a way to get rid of it. I've lost too many friends to that particular disease.
1: Well, you know, I uh, my grandma died of cancer and my dad has had it. So uh, that's a perfect segue. I'm going to break the program just a little bit. One of the news stories we were going to cover is uh, Will Ferrell has launched an Indiegogo campaign uh, called uh, uh calls on gamers to launch a cancer assault. Basically, if you pledge $10, um, you uh, get entered into a drawing, and the winner gets an all-expense-paid trip to play video games with him for a couple of hours. And the um, the funds go to Cancer for College, which provides scholarships to cancer survivors. So hmm. since we were talking about cancer, I figured I would throw that in. And it's, uh, you know, granted – It will be great when one day we find the cure for cancer. But in the meantime, cancer is one of those things where, you know, it's not like I can go out and beat up somebody to make you not have cancer anymore. But this is, you know, you get so frustrated because you can't do anything. This is a way you can kind of do something.
0: I appreciate Mr Farrell's modesty here as he says, quote, our two hour gaming extravaganza will be live broadcasted on Twitch for the world to watch, allowing everyone to watch in awe as I, Will Farrell, show off my gaming skills and crack jokes with fellow top gamers and surprise guests.
1: So uh
0: it, that sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, you know, nobody would nobody would pledge to come out to Fruitville and play games with me, but you know, it would be cool to play games with Will Farrell. Uh, yeah. So
0: that's that's great. Uh, thank you for bringing that up, Seth. Uh, you know, uh, often we 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 do cancer research and things like that, but um, there isn't a lot for the people who've expended their life savings beating the disease. So I like that right. he's doing that. Yeah. Um. Uh, a good friend of mine has beat cancer twice now, two different types of cancer. Um. And uh, you know, my my sister-in-law was a, a cancer survivor. Uh, it's it's a terrible thing that affects a lot of people, and if te- if, if ten bucks from from everybody in our audience will make a difference, go do it. There's no excuse not to spend ten bucks on this campaign okay. uh, of Will Ferrell's. Plus, you could end up hanging out with Will Ferrell. That's worth ten bucks. Yeah, yeah, for an attempt, definitely. All right. Um, any other comments before we move on to the listener feedback? No. I'm okay. good. So we only have, I think, four tonight, but they're long ones. Uh, so I, it, we, we went with quantity over quality, or wait, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> we went short but long. No, that's, that's not good either. So I'm just gonna jump right in here. Brian, uh, s- says that corporations have rights. Now, this was a, a relation to something I said, um, I think, uh, around the Aereo, uh, case. We talked about other Supreme Court cases, and I made the comment that, um, I don't like the fact that this Supreme Court case confers human rights on corporations. So this is Brian's rebuttal to that. It says, Mark, a couple of weeks ago you mentioned that you don't agree with the idea that corporations have rights. I know it sounds strange at first, but think of what happens if they don't. Does the Washington Post Corporation have a First Amendment rights? This is close to home because my wife writes for the Washington Post. Can they print whatever they want? Could they be closed down for printing things that the authorities don't like? What about the Fourth Amendment? The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause. Does this apply to a newspaper? Or can the government raid newspapers' offices and seize whatever's there without a warrant for any good reason? Corporations are owned and controlled by people, people, and people don't forfeit their rights when they work through a corporation. I'm implored by a corporation, but I got the job by interacting with real-life people who represent that corporation. It's still people behind the legal fiction, and that's what corporations have. why corporations have to have rights. Best wishes, wishes, Brian. Brian, I don't disagree with your sentiment there, but everything you said there involves the people who work. The people don't give up their rights because they work for a corporation. That's correct. I agree with that. But Ford, Inc., as an entity... I, I don't believe has a right to free speech. Every person who works there does, but Ford Inc. is not a person. And I understand that in the U.S. I in in terms of U.S. law, I'm wrong. That's been proven over and over again that corporations have certain rights. But I think it's a it's a it's a distinction that we need to make that that the people who make up the corporations have rights, not the corporations themselves, because that give prov- provides too many opportunities for people to hide behind the actions of a corporation. And too much evil can be done legally in the name of a corporation because no person has has single responsibility for it. So I yes, you're right under the law. I don't like the law. I think we need to find a better way to describe the actions of a group of individuals or the rights of a group of individuals. Um that's you know, your wife who writes for the uh, Washington Post, she has First Amendment rights. She can write that thing. I don't believe that the Washington Post, as an entity, has a First Amendment right to publish it. Again, the First Amendment is one of those totally screwed up, misappropriated uh, rights. Um, the right to free speech says Congress shall make no right abridging the free speech. That, that's a, a, a partial Quotation there, it's not about you having the right to say what you want to say. It's not about the Washington Post uh, having to face a libel suit for insulting somebody. It's about Congress making laws that censor what you can and can't say, and that's it. That's as far as the First Amendment goes, or the Fourth Amendment for that matter. So, your local police force is not the is not is not Congress and there's i know i'm i'm coming at it from a very strict constructionist point of view and that's not popular right now it was more popular in the 80s than it is now but i, I think it's important that words mean things so that that's i before i turn this into a constitutional law class i'm just going to leave it there guys what do you think
2: <laughs> well i've already been on record saying i don't think corporations should have the corporation itself should be protected by rights the people in the corporation are protected by their own rights already. So why do the corporations need rights? But that's just my thoughts on it.
0: And, and I think the the reason, Chris, is because it's easier. It's just easier to confer yeah. rights on an entity. Because it's really tricky when you have a, a million people inside an organization and each of them have their individual rights that are sometimes conflicting with one another.
2: Yeah. yeah. But that's the way the world is supposed to work, at least in my Thoughts?
1: I know that they need some type of rights. Now, whether those rights are constitutionally guaranteed or merely lawfully guaranteed, that would be a matter for discussion. But a corporation needs to have some type of rights, some type of legal recourse. Right. To there are protections.
0: Wrong. There are legal protections. I, I agree with you. But that's not the same thing as a constitutional right.
1: Okay then okay so I don't I don't disagree with what you've said.
0: Yeah. And and what bothers me is when the Supreme Court starts invoking constitutional rights on non-citizens. A corporation is not a citizen. There is no there is no writ of citizenship. There's no birth certificate. There's no there's no green card. There's nothing that says um Ford is a citizen of the US. So you can't confer Rights as a, of a citizen on it, legal protections. I'm fine with that, but those are at the you know often at the local level or the state level, and the federal government should just just uh, intervene when states can't agree. That's that's the defin- That's how it was supposed to be when the Constitution was written. That the federal government only intervenes when there are disputes among states. Again, that's a, a total reductivist, and, and there are people out there screaming at their podcast de- playing devices right now. Uh, but I'm trying to make it simple for to get through this segment. Um, and I just it bothers me when we start treating non humans as humans, right? I mean, and and it's it gets even worse when you, you start treating non human non citizens as citizens, right? Where we talk about rights for for terrorists. They don't have any rights under the Constitution. They are not citizens. They are rights under the law that certain laws are given to people who are visiting our country. But that's not the same as a constitutional right. Right. Okay. I I'm, I, I. can't think of a way out of this deftly, so I'll say Saber has the goods on Chris. I think he's got you, Chris. I don't think there's Uh-oh. any way around this. Oh, Uh He says, hey, Mark, this is another attempt to get Chris to eat a ghost chili live on the show. <laughs> After I was correctly accused of cheating on EDL episode 156, I've seen the error of my ways and been searching backwards through your podcasts for a time when Chris <laughs> says he likes Windows. So here's my second attempt. He's got a time code and everything. On EDL 84... During the opening segment at five minutes and fifty nine seconds, Mark is talking, and Chris says, "Mark, recovering broken install." Uh, wait, uh, Mark says, "Recovering broken installs of what operating system?" Chris says, "Guess." Seth says, "Mac OS." Chris facetiously, "My favorite operating system in the world." Then, after a pause, he continues, decidedly not so facetiously in the least, "The only reason I like Windows is because it makes me money." End of transcript. <laughs> Okay. I realized that was what Chris first said was that the operating system he's working on was his favorite operating system in the world. He was being sarcastic. I'm not trying to count that as admission that he likes Windows. The second half of his protracted statement, however, he does admit that he likes Windows. That is accompanied with the caveat that he likes it because it makes money, but he does not admit that he likes, but he does admit that he likes Windows. Pseudo Chris at EDL dash host, eat ghost pepper dash H dash V. Spork saber.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can fight that one off. That one's pretty... <laughs> hmm.
0: I think he got Not you.
2: Sure. I, I think he did, too.
0: I haven't gone back and listened to that episode, but, you know, I, I that's your only defense at this point, to see if he got his transcription wrong, because he's got yep. you nailed to the wall, buddy.
2: Yeah, I know. I have a feeling I'll be eating a ghost pepper. I better go, to go buy one. Or two. Oh, I think I think all of us should, but I I know I can't Whoa. force you guys to do it. <laughs> I uh, never
0: nope. made such a promise. <laughs> nope. Come
2: on, I think it'd be fun. All of us do it at the same time. <laughs>
0: if if we get a thousand people to, na- to donate ten dollars each to the American Cancer Society,
1: I will eat the ghost chili. There you go, guys. How would they quantify to prove that it was see you've got to uh You well, you know, we can
0: work out the details there, but you could, for example, when you donate online, they send you a, a thanks email, forward it to me. You know, something like that. I need I need some sort of proof that we're doing good here. But if we raise ten thousand dollars for for the, the American Cancer Society, I will eat a ghost pepper while sitting in a vat of ice water and sing it.
1: I, <laughs> <laughs> what you've got to do is you've got to make like an Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. So, so it's a thousand, yeah. So, uh, th- now you know because a thousand people giving at least ten dollars, uh, um, that would be cool. You you should do that now.
0: All right, I will consider that.
1: So uh, everybody rushing out to donate. Let's hold on till uh, we get the Indiegogo campaign. I'm started. fine
0: if my personal suffering ends the suffering of others. I have no problem with that. And if my, if my being in misery will get, bring $10,000 to a good cause, I'm all over it. All right. Uh, moving right along, Chris, uh, excuse me, Craig says hello. Um, and this is a long one and Craig, I'm probably going to excerpt it at points. So don't get offended. Uh, he says hello, Mark, Seth and Chris. Number one. I appreciate your show. Within the last year, I started having to travel twelve hours every other weekend, and your pos- pro- podcast has made this bearable. No arguments from this guy about a longer show.
1: Wow! So he gets cool. through one or two a month now. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, he can get through uh, two shows a drive uh, on a good drive on a good drive. Number two, Mark, I appreciate that you're open about being a Christian and attending church, and repeatedly making notes of it during your shows. Thank you for that. I wasn't really aware that it was repeatedly, uh, but thanks. Uh, With that said, I wanted to chime in a little bit and introduce myself and possibly start providing some feedback. My name is Craig, and I live in a small town in northwest Arkansas. I work for a small school district, 1,450 students, by the way. I just got to stop. That's
1: not not a small school district.
0: Your small school district is twice the size that my small school district was. Um, As the network administrator, I'm a Linux and open source advocate and firmly believe in freedom. Uh, Who doesn't? Well, Stalin, maybe. Uh, I wanted to let you know that uh, what I'm doing and try to make a difference. Over the last year, I've implemented Ubuntu 12.04. That's going way back there. Uh, But it's their long-term support. I get it. Uh, At our school district, for any machines that could not support the Windows 7 upgrade. In a six-month period, I phased out all Windows XP and replaced it with Ubuntu 12.04. My project started with a card of Asus notebooks we purchased years ago with a special grant. Uh, And then it gives the specs of the problems. They can't run Windows Pro. I decided to go down the path of bringing Linux to the enterprise and figuring out how to manage these machines within our network. I started with the netbooks, (coughs) and the feedback from the kids was immediately. They loved having something new. We are Google Apps for Education District, so Google Apps in the browser uh, is our main focus. I customized the Unity launchers to have the main programs they need. I sat several students down in front of each one and asked several basic questions. If you want to get to the Internet, where do you go? If you want to open your files on the server, where would you click? You want to create a new document? Where would you click? If you want to create a new spreadsheet, where would you click? If you want to shut down, what do you think you would do? Everybody got everyone right. You launch Chrome, you go to the Files icon, you click on LibreOffice. So they got it all right. I now have more than 125 Ubuntu machines in our district running Ubuntu 12.04, joined to the domain using Likewise Open Configuration Management using Puppet, and their local home directories using GVS mounts and simlinks and auto-launching Chrome to students' intranet page. I'm giving children direct exposure to Linux every single day without complicating their lives. I chose to stay with vanilla Ubuntu with uh, with Unity as it was easy to customize for all users because I want the kids to be exposed to what they would get if they went straight to Ubuntu. After that, if they had enough interest or curiosity, they could choose something like Mint. I demoed this to my administration by setting up two laptops, Windows 7 and Ubuntu, side-by-side and ask them to sign in both, but both machines. Then ask them to create a document, in Windows, save it to their My Documents, and go back and forth, yada yada. We use Clonezilla to image our Ubuntu workstations. Takes about fifteen minutes to Im- image one, and I have it in Puppet. Uh, Puppet is a, a enterprise administration suite. You don't know that. Uh, so in fifteen minutes, you can image it and have it ready to go. I don't know. Actually. From-
1: Go ahead Seth. I was going to say Dawn who uh I interviewed for the show, she's the uh, community director of Puppet. Huh? So.
0: Okay. Oh wow. Uh, he says, I don't consider myself an uber geek, although I enjoy uber geek stuff. I believe that my personality is a bit of everything, and I appreciate your show. Excuse me. I believe that personality is everything, and I appreciate your show because it's more about your guys' personality than it is about Linux. A person with a positive attitude, ability to get along with others, and willingness to learn stuff is more valuable, in my opinion, opinion than anyone that knows their stuff. Thank you again for being real, Craig. Uh, thank you, Craig, A, for being a listener, and B, for doing the good work of Linux, I think you did it right you started small you got admin approval and you know you see you showed people that there isn't a difference when when I tried to move uh, Linux into my school, I did it wrong I threw it out there and I said, here kids go to town on it the kids liked it the teachers and administration shouldn't didn't and an order from on high killed it so I think you did right right there showing the admin look it's the same thing and it works
2: yeah. I would definitely give you kudos. You did it the best way you possibly could have.
0: T- too many times people that you, you hear the cry, well, you know, Windows is what they're going to use in the, quote, real world. And I always think that's the dumbest thing ever when you're talking about a third grader. Whatever he's going to use in eight years when he graduates doesn't exist right now. Why are we even having this discussion? If we can yeah, get him that- something that works now for no cost.
1: That's the thing. The people who use that argument are only repeating what they've heard before. Because when I was in school district and I was talking about open office, um, the, you know, he made the comment, well, Windows is what they use in the real world. And I said, you know, and this guy's a little older than me. And I said, really? So how has, um, Office 2010 changed since you learned it. And then his response was, oh, well, but it's what we teach, so it needs to be used. Yeah. So, you know. Changed.
0: The <laughs> argument changes once you defeat it.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Every time. You know, bec- it just shows that people, and this is, this is why discussions are so hard. Nobody thinks about the topic. You take whatever side you like, and you just repeat ad nauseum what you've heard other people say, thinking that they were qualified to give an informed opinion. Yeah,
0: Uh, Mark Twain once said, many people think they're thinking when they're merely rearranging their prejudices. Yeah, there you go. Yep. All right, so moving on to the news of the recent times, not necessarily the week, Uh, we (laughs) talked uh, last show, I think it was, about uh, Red Hat CEO Brian Stevens' rapid departure from Red Hat. Well, now he's told us where he's going to go and why.
1: Yeah, you know... Whenever we talked about it, it was a big question because it was like he had just merely been uh, erased. But now it's he now works at Google. So he uh, that's why everything was quiet when he left, because, you know, I mean, he wasn't trying to say I'm leaving Red Hat and going to Google. He was just like, I'm leaving. And then later he turns up at Google. So I don't know. Maybe you got a maybe you got a bigger paycheck. I don't know. Maybe he likes the office perks there. Maybe he just wanted to move across the street in California. But anyway, it wasn't like a big conspiracy thing that there was a lot of stuff in the Linux blogosphere about it. He simply changed jobs. Well,
2: and everyone's so, going to do it anyway. He was
1: CEO, yeah. right? If, am I remembering correctly? No, I think, no. I think it was CTO. CTO. Okay.
0: So yeah. it's, it's sort of a step down in title, at least.
1: Because he's not right.
0: chief anything at Google. Right. But Google is a much think it's bigger gonna be organization. Yeah.
1: So, you know, do you want to be the big fish in a small pond or a smaller fish in a much bigger pond where you have room to go? It's kind of like a goldfish. A goldfish will grow to the size of the tank. Uh, you know, you take an old goldfish and you change it out of a little tank into a bigger one and it mysteriously starts growing again.
0: Thank you for that biology lesson. you're welcome (laughs) everyday science interestingly though african cichlids continue to grow regardless of the size of their tank so you can have a big oscar in a tank so so small that it can't move really i never knew that one yeah it's true uh next up um there was (laughs) there was some news this week about apple doing some things um, I I missed most of it. It didn't really seem all that important to me. I think maybe they have a new device or two.
1: Yeah, apparently, I don't know. There, there was some type of announcement out of uh, their facility. I'm not sure what it was. Um, no, they uh, they announced the iPhone six, and contrary to popular belief, you don't need a small iphone apparently <laughs> you need a bigger one so now they don't know what you want anymore i think this is the beginning of the end yeah, for apple yeah. they're not able to tell you what you want they're actually putting a couple of different things out there and saying hey if you want either one of them go for it so i think it's the beginning of the end in a related
0: um, story there was a, a, a 3.2 magnitude earthquake uh, felt in southern california as steve's got steve jobs began spinning around in his grave he always said (laughs) apple will never sell a large phone nobody wants a large phone people want small phones and so what does apple do they release a 5.5 and a six inch phone um yep and a friend of mine today at church asked the question what do you think about the new iphone i pointed at my wife's three-year-old galaxy s3 i said it's that phone
1: yep yeah and actually there's um an article over at um reddit I, or not reddit Ars technica where he charts the nexus 4 from 2012 and lists all mm-hmm. of its features and then all of the brand new features of the right. iphone 6 and he was like congratulations apple you've invented the great greatest phone of 2012 yes. so uh it was just kind of a funny thing um but yeah so you know that's kind of um what they've done they've They've announced it, and it's out there. Um, and, of course, even the Free Software Foundation got in on the act, a, um article, you know, they, they posted, you know, any publicity is good publicity, um, and they just talked about how, you know, yay, it's a win for consumers. Digital restrictions management locks people out. And, anyway, it just, you can, they have a press release. You can read it. But, yeah, the big news, and, of course, the thing is, you watch the media, and all of these features that Apple's putting in the phone have never been seen before by anyone right. ever. And it's Tap the greatest to pay, thing.
0: NFC-paying, it's amazing. Nobody's ever done this except <laughs> and, Google Wallet in 2009.
1: Yes, and apparently they have smart watches now that you can wear, and they're apps okay, for let's, them. Let's talk about the watch.
0: This This watch <laughs> is not a smart watch. This watch is a dumb watch. Uh, Because it can do almost nothing without an iPhone nearby. Now, that's true of other smart watches as well. The Pebble watch is not as good unless it's paired by something. But this thing, as far as I know, doesn't even tell time without an iPhone connected to it. Um, Sweet. Yeah, it's just. That sounds great. uh, Somebody's going to tell me I'm wrong about that, and that's fine. But uh, one of the things I, I do remember reading is it turns itself off the screen blanks to save battery what i want to be able to look at my watch and see what time my my watch runs for five years on a battery and the display never goes off right (laughs) we're we're stepping we're we're, it's when you move from a dumb something to a smart something it's supposed to be better and so far this new batch of smart watches has not been better
1: no you know, I, you know, and it's my initial one of my many complaints about the Apple iPhone. I called it a semi-smartphone because if you wanted to do anything to it, you had to link it to a computer and do something through iTunes. Now they've since addressed a lot of those features, and you can update it remotely. Uh, you can update Years it after without Android, by the way. Yeah, but you know they were the first to do it, um, so yeah. So yeah, they've, they've invented a semi stupid watch now that the, um, their marketing department and, uh, you know, they have several divisions of their marketing department. There's Fox, there's, uh, NBC, there's ABC, Reuters, AP. All the divisions of their marketing department are saying the exact same thing, putting on a united front to show how great it is.
0: Yeah. All right. Moving right along. The free software foundation wants to also become the free hardware foundation.
1: Kinda, kind of. Uh, yeah, they, um, are, um, they've released this announcement or the free software foundation and Debian have joined forces. Basically, they're, um, putting out a database that shows you how open the hardware is and, you know, like the drivers form and everything is for the software. And they talked about how, uh, you know, some of the purest don't like debian because you can load non-free software but right. uh, debian points out that the official um, repositories are um are all um free so you know and are all like free has in speech free right. um and no binary you know, blobs yeah but that's just you know so if if that is a big deal and you know for most people it's not but if you if you're looking for the source of non drm type things uh open standards open compatibility all that kind of stuff you debian is partner with the free software foundation and they're maintaining the h node which is um i'd say it just tells you where you can find free software yeah or i and, mean free hardware
0: yeah well it is it's not so much free hardware; it's hardware that will work with free software. That's that's a problem people run into all the time. I bought this laptop, and I want to run Debian on it, and it works fine except the network card, or it works fine except the the um, touch screen. Uh, and from reading this article here, it looks like they're just—it's just a database of stuff that will work with other stuff. Um, and so th- that's useful, but it, wouldn't it be better to just make your stuff work with everything?
1: Yeah. Right. So but you know, you can't do it if the people who make this hardware don't release the stuff. And so it's not
0: Linux's fault that Broadcom drivers suck. It's Broadcom's fault. Because not only will they not release a driver, they won't even release reasonable specs. Everything that's ever been done with it has been by reverse engineering. And saying, well, if I send five volts here, what happens? I need a new Broadcom adapter. Let me send three volts to this next one and see what happens. That's, you know, that's an exaggeration, but that's how it works. So, yeah, it's not Linux's fault, but it's still, what I think this does is highlights the deficiencies in the operating system more than helps anybody.
1: Well, you know, the first part of the problem is to show people the problem. So, you know that's half the battle mark and it's one of the many (laughs) halves of the battle i know but half the battle is showing people hey this is a problem so that way we can come up with you know and so if this puts some small bit of pressure because people want to get on that list then it's not a bad thing but um you know if all it does is point to the glaring deficiencies of hey look you can't do wireless if you run Linux, then then it is a bad thing. So it's up to the market. We, the people, must be a force for change. Yay, people.
0: You know, what is often also often a, a force for change is sci-fi. So many things exist today because they were predicted in science fiction novels or TV shows. For example, the flip phone that Motorola invented was a direct ripoff of Kirk's communicator from Star Trek. Uh, the, the guy who, I can't remember his name, who invented it will tell you. He wanted a communicator, so he, he worked for Motorola and created the cell phone. Well, a guy has decided he wants his own automated car, and he's going to get there with a Raspberry Pi.
1: That is correct. Um, Raspberry Pi enth- Enthusiast, Derek, I'm going to go with Nags, I guess. Works K- yeah, K-N-A-G-G-S. He was inspired to create a low cost in car computer using a Raspberry Pi. Now we did a story, um, it's been quite a while ago where somebody had took Android and customized it to look like the interface from kit. Um, but this is, um, he's kind of used Pi and then he took like a, a little, uh, deep, um, you know, you can buy these kits to put DVR or didn't. Yes, DVD, uh, players. DVD yeah. players, like on the back of your head seats for long trips. So the kids in the back will be entertained. So he kind of took apart one of those to get the screen output for his Pi and he uses like a Bluetooth keyboard and he kind of sets it up. And I just thought it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, he talks about how much the uh, camera, how much it costs and he even added like a camera. So he set up like a reverse camera. So if you put your car in reverse, you'll see what's behind you. And, so I just and thought I, it was kind of cool. I, I, he's
0: a long way away from the night industries 2000, for sure. Uh, Definitely. But, you know, it's, it's cool. It's got geeks playing with cool stuff. And I'm all
1: about that. But, yeah, you know, it was cool. the night industries 2000. It wasn't the night industry one. So you <laughs> yeah. got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh,
0: you know, it's funny how all these sci-fi shows have intelligent personalities, right? There's there's uh, Jarvis in the Iron Man suit. There's Kit uh, and, you know, going all the way back. But I think once we finally get there, we're going to find them so annoying, we will turn them off. When we finally do get Cortana, she will be switched off most of the time. Because right. it's like, I don't need another wife nagging me. Shut up. That's, yeah. that's what I think will actually happen.
1: It's going to be more like, um, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. What was the robot? The Marvin, wa- Marvin, paranoid
0: yes. android. Yes.
1: Yeah, yep. it'll be more like Marvin than the uh, Utopian Enterprise computer. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, the the Enterprise computer was perfect because she didn't say anything until you spoke to her. Yeah, uh, right. But you know, in in other not, not saying that women should be like that, but computers <laughs> should be like that. Um, <laughs> moving right along, prominent <laughs> Linux kernel developers has been jailed by prod- protesting publicly in Moscow's Menza Square against the conflict in the Ukraine. Crazy.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, we talk a lot about just the Linux kernel developer has this abstract concept. Just wanted to show that, you know, this is somebody who doesn't just sit in a darkened basement hunched over a screen. Uh tapping things in some Vi terminal somewhere, but he actually, you know, he was protesting Russia's involvement in the, uh, conflict in the Ukraine and he got, um, arrested and there was apparently some type of quick trial and got sentenced to a few days or a a time in jail, uh, 15 days in prison for disobeying a police officer. Um, so I just wanted to show that, you know, this is like a Colonel level developer from Linux who is out making the world a better place and not just the cyber world a better place.
0: And if you would like to make the cyber world a better place, our friends over at the LinuxAcademy.com it's a terrible transition. It was the best I could come up with. It's the, like the only <laughs> Linux story in this batch here. Um, linuxacademy.com is uh, is a site designed to take you from being a guy who knows some stuff about some stuff to being a Linux administrator by way of their step-by-step online video courses. Um, they have well over 200 courses now covering everything from basic Linux use to software to uh, Amazon Web Services to um uh, certification training—you can get your full-on Linux Plus or LPIC Level One training all through their site. Uh, you go there, you log in, you check out the modules, you you learn stuff. I've go I've gone over this over and over again. I feel like I'm a broken record sometimes about them, but here's here's the basics. It's high quality learning presented in a high quality fashion. Independently certified. It's not just me saying that. It's 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 the folks at CompTIA. Who do the, the do the certifications? Went through here and and audited their stuff and said, "Yep, this this is good stuff." Uh, and, and it's the guys at the Linux Professional Institute did the same thing. Um, it's it's not just videos though. It's not just like going to YouTube and getting a video of a fifteen year old kid doing a, t- a tutorial on Blender. That darn kid is so much better than I am at Blender. Um, it's <laughs> it's it's professional people producing professional content, which is a bonus, right? But not only that, it's more than just videos. It's it's individually time coded PDF study guides, so. If you're a visual learner, if you're, if you're a guy who likes to hold a piece of paper in your hand and read, print that sucker out, look at it, and look at the time code. When you get to something as you're reading along, you say, I'm not really sure I understand this. Look at the time code, go to the video, watch it, learn from it. And when, while you're doing that, if you want to do it, if you're a hands-on kind of guy, fire up one of the eight different, um, uh, virtual machines that they give you, fire up a server, test it. Say, all right, he did this, pause that, do what he did, move on, pause it, do what he did, look at your sheet. Then when you're done, you have walked through it, you have internalized it in three different ways. You've seen it, you've read about it, and you've done it, and now you know it. Nobody else on the internet that, that, internet that I know of does that. Linux Academy is unique in that they give you multiple ways to learn the same things for different types of learners. I spent a lot of time in education. One of the things that we always talked about was multiple intelligences. People are good at different things. People learn in different ways. The linuxacademy.com knows that. They know that you may need more than just a video. They may they know that you may need to do something and and do it with your own hands-on way of doing. And the beautiful thing about their their virtual machines is you wreck it, you blow it up, you just hit the reset button, it comes back in about 30 seconds and you start over again. It's a safe environment to break stuff. And I learned more in my experiences when I was trying to figure things out by breaking stuff than I ever did by watching a video or by reading a tutorial. Mm-hmm. Linux Academy lets you break stuff in a safe way. Then when you're done, you look through it, you take the practice exam, you say, I'm done. I've got this. I'm ready for my certification. You take the practice certification exam. You pass it. You're ready to go. You go on, you take your real your real thing, and because they're, their learning is so thorough and because their practice exam is so much like the real exam, you're going to get certified. It's just, it's happening every day. Check them out, LinuxAcademy.com. Uh, when you get there, you're going to see that not only is this really good stuff, but it's inexpensive. I don't like to use the word cheap because cheap generally means poor quality. These guys are both high quality and inexpensive. The most you can ever pay for their services is $25 a month. That's the most you can pay. You want to buy one month, shuck out 25 bucks, the cost of a pizza and a half, assuming you don't get the gourmet mellow mushroom pizza that's $75. Um, <laughs> and, and you're in for a month. If you, if you like it, you decide you want to stick around for a while, buy a quarter, three months. Then it's only $20 a month. If you're really in for the long haul and you really want to make this a career opportunity here and not just something you're going to dabble at, buy a year for $199. That breaks down to under $17 a month. Are you kidding me? This kind of material for $17 a month is unheard of. When you go, check them out. Use the code EverydayLinux. Let them know that we sent you.
1: Yeah, guys, I just want to reiterate what Mark and said. And
0: moving on now
1: to <laughs> go ahead, Seth. No, I was just gonna um I was just gonna say that twenty five dollars a month, you know, you can't go out for an evening by yourself for twenty five dollars a month now. If you're stuck in some crummy dead end job, invest one night of going out, give the Linux Academy a run, uh and you will see it's awesome. If if you're willing to put the time in to learn it. It'll show, it'll give you the tools to make yourself successful and you can't beat this price for this level of learning. So there you go, Mark, short and sweet.
0: Good. We like, <laughs> we like short and sweet. Apparently we don't. That's why we do seven hour shows. Um, so next up, uh, when free goes to pay the synergy project, wait a minute. I love synergy. This is a problem.
1: Yes, um, apparently everybody loves Synergy, but nobody was paying for it. So the founder and CEO of Synergy posted a, um, if you go to synergy-project.org slash download to download their software, he is saying that they've made the decision to charge a one-time fee of $4.99 to download Synergy and that, that buys the current version and access to all future versions. So, you know, you're not doing, a monthly license of their software, you know, basically you're buying the right to use it, a one-time fee of $5. And, you know, if if this is one of those things where, you know, we had this discussion months ago, we love using stuff that cost other people money to produce, but we don't like paying for it. Well, we had the epiphany we need to pay, but apparently a lot of other people haven't because two one thousandths of P of a percentage choose to donate to their uh, project that actually use it apparently. So, you know, he, uh, they, they want to be able to continue to release quality things. Um, and in order to do that, they're having, they're moving to a pay model, but it's a one-time fee. It's a very small fee. And hopefully, you know, this will, you know, hopefully this will just cause people to be able to, um, contribute so that they can continue putting out the quality that you're accustomed to seeing in Synergy.
0: And, yeah, uh, Synergy is a good thing. What what I wonder about though is, on my Linux machine, I typed app get install Synergy and it was there. How are they going to charge me five bucks for that? Um, Maybe they're assuming that everybody wants to connect to at least one Windows machine. That could Uh, be. if, If you don't know what Synergy is, it's it lets you connect one keyboard and mouse to multiple computers. It's how I run the show. I do, uh, you know, I've got three laptops here and I have synergy running. And so I just swipe my cursor over to one side and it over the network, uh, connects to that device. And, and then I swipe it to the other side and over the network connect, connects to that device. Um, and it's, it's a, it's an indispensable tool for the way I like to work so much so that as I'm speaking right now, I'm clicking the purchase button because I'm with you, Seth. You should pay for what you use. Um, so done and done. Uh, but I think it's going to be interesting there to, is he going to take it out of the repositories and make you go download it? Um, what's he going to do about all the old code that's already out there? Um, it's it, This will be an interesting experiment.
2: Yeah, it will be. Yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, I mean, if he's going to start knocking everybody to paid versions, how I don't, yeah, I'm with you, Mark. I don't know unless he's just going to stop supporting uh, distributions to putting it in their repositories.
0: Yeah, but he's that's the thing. The code's already open, so anybody can take it and run with it. it. Yeah, it sounds like it's more of a suggested pay than anything else.
1: Could be. Well, I'm again. I don't know if it's suggested or not, but you know, and maybe it's one of these things. It's only going to be for the future version. You know, maybe you can get up to whatever the current version is, but moving forward, if you want the, if you want, if you ever want a future one, it will be this for all futures. Maybe. Yeah.
0: Hmm. So, yeah, uh, do it. Pay for it. Five bucks one time. Totally worth doing it. No um, kidding. And here's, here's interesting. I, I have never even thought about the software in a, in a, Camera, like a cinematographer camera, being closed source, but apparently, their Axiom believes that uh, we need an open source camera.
1: Hmm. Yes, uh, there's an Indiegogo project up. They want to be the first open digital cinema camera. They have a goal of a hundred thousand euros. They're up to uh, forty nine thousand, so they're just almost halfway there. And they have 24 days left. I gotta tell you, they've, uh, when I first checked on this story a few days ago, they were, they barely had anything. So apparently there's a lot of people who agree, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Do we even need digital cameras anymore? I mean, every smartphone is a camera that's not a bad quality. Well, no, camera. this
0: is, this is filmmaker camera. Oh. This is this is high def cinematography cameras. This isn't iPhone cameras.
1: Yeah, this uh, is so uh, 4K. It's a whole, Not
0: class a, of thing, but
1: I mean, okay. So next year's <laughs> smartphones I, will have 4K cameras, and then we won't. Need it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, by the way,
0: just a just a call back to the iPhone six thing. I read an article. I think it was on the Verge that was just whining and bemoaning the fact that there's now a bulge. On the camera, that they made the phone a little thinner, but they couldn't make the camera thinner, so it bulges. And this dude, I'm guessing he gets paid by the word, so he had to write something. So he wrote like 700 words on why Apple ruined the iPhone. You should not get an iPhone because the camera sticks out two millimeters. Really? yourselves, the verge. That's just dumb.
1: You know... And The Verge is one of those collections. Some of the writers on The Verge are really, and it, I mean, it's the same with every, every site like that. Some of them are good quality, you know, I might not agree or good quality opinions. Um, and then others of them are just fillers who are, you know, I don't, maybe it's some type of AI just trying to dumb down society so they can take over more easily. Um, I have a bad, bad segment. Sorry. <laughs> But, yeah, some of those stories are pretty simple.
0: All right. So, you, you know what's not dumb? Net neutrality is not dumb, except it's got a bad name and people don't really get it. Uh, but the, the, the people who are against it say net neutrality is bad for business. I think they're idiots. But let's see what the article says.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so, companies that sell… Uh, networking equipment, you know, so the IBM, uh, Cisco, those kind of things, they, uh, they don't want the U.S. to regulate broadband as a utility. Well, you know, because basically then you don't have needs for their, um, their management software to throttle this and block that and leverage this. So. Of course, they're not going to be for it because then just any gray box router will work. But um, if you've got to be able to lock down somebody and block everything coming from this MAC address, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just a net neutrality story that lots of companies are against it. So that's my. Well, it's uh, it's, it's like there it against way. it
2: because they're not going to get paid for it.
0: Right. Right. Just before we began this discussion, my bandwidth went to crap. So um, I'm, I'm I'm not going to say correlation proves causality, but uh, if you're watching the YouTube uh, of this or watching it live, I apologize that things are sounding so terrible right now, but I just had a major – my bandwidth went just down to nothing. Um, so net neutrality means something to me because I'm being – choked off by something i don't know what it is i'm paying for 25 megs down i'm clearly not getting it
1: right now no no so, no no you know, this you're is paying this is
0: what net neutrality means people
1: you're paying for up to yes. i mean point one is up to 25 it is on that continuum yeah so you're getting exactly what you paid and, for and
0: the internet doomsayers are, are saying this is what the world is going to look like it, when all the anti net neutrality stuff goes away, that, that if you don't pay for the super high end stuff, everybody will be like they're back on a dial up modem. You know, and I, I think that's an overreaction, but, you know, anybody who's been on, on any cable provider, you know, Comcast is, is among the worst of them and tried to watch Netflix between 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. local time understands why we need net neutrality. Because you can't do it. Yeah. And so, you know, and the next story uh, is that these guys are trying to throw more bandwidth at it to try to stop these arguments. Both Uh, AT&T and Verizon are upping Netflix speeds.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, you're still, they're up to, uh, the average Netflix stream on on Fios hit 2.41 megs in August and, um, AT&T hit 2.61. Um, but they say they rec Netflix, I believe recommends four or five, um, in order to do HD. So you still can't, um, uh, you still don't meet Netflix recommendation for HD, but things are less crappy, um, for watching Netflix on, um, Verizon and AT&T. That's just nuts. That
0: uh, and then you know, sort of, yeah. The the I've said this a thousand times. The problem is that they're selling more product than they have. Yep. Nobody else in the world gets to do that. Nobody else. You can't go to a mattress store, and they stock ten thousand mattresses and sell fifty thousand mattresses. You can't go to a car dealership that stocks four hundred cars and sells nine hundred cars. This this only happens in the bandwidth world. Where I will sell bandwidth 5, 10, 15 times more than I can actually deliver, and apparently nobody sees
1: a problem with this. Well, it started except the customers. Yeah, the customers all the way back with dial up. Uh, it started yeah. back in dial up because you know uh, they would have say. I have a thousand modems at my ISP. Well, I'm going to sell 1500 because, you know, statistics show only 70% of people will connect at one time. And then everybody wanted all access. So they would call and never disconnect. And then they came out with this. If you're not using this thing, you'll have a session timeout after 30 minutes or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, unfortunately this model started with, um, internet access and it's, it's been here every time
0: yeah yeah it was re- it was common back in the day when you were dialing in uh, i remember reading it because i i knew people who had who had businesses at the time and the the recommendations recommendations at the time were sell three times as you have modems so if you have 50 modems sell 150 connections um, because the idea here, there is that not everybody dials up at the same time, and if they do, they get a busy signal. That's okay; they'll call back later. Um, and so yeah, this model has been around thirty years now.
2: Yep, twenty five for sure. Just as um, it's just uh, as broken as it was then. Yeah.
0: So Comcast knows that they can deliver, let's say, one terabit at any one time. They can deliver a terabit of data. They sell. Seventeen terabits to their companies, to their customers, and each one of them, uh, you know, gets up to thirty megabit. Well, if all of those people are using their thirty megabits, it's it's fifteen times what Comcast can actually provide. But they hide behind those up to words, and and that makes everything okay. And we, the sheeple, accept it. Okay, I'll pay you a hundred bucks a month for you reaming me. I'm fine with it. Why am I fine with it? Because I have no other place to go. Everybody else is reaming me too. That's the problem.
1: Well, yeah. A lot of the problem is there isn't competition to force them. You know, the markets where Google came in with Google right. Fiber, all of a sudden, mysteriously, somehow, in those places where the, uh, you know, the dsl and the cable companies had no extra money mysteriously their bandwidth got upgraded, and they were able to compete with the speeds google was offering um you know it's one of those things where in order for you know them to meet the demand what's going to have to happen is the uh, espresso machine in the executive bathroom they're going to have to switch to the generic brand instead of the imported on a plane with nothing else on it from some you know Place in Vienna. They're going to have to go to, they're going to have to go down to Walmart and buy the generic espresso for them. If they would just do that for one month and build up their infrastructure, then they could go back and afford two espresso machines. So there would be no waiting in the executive bathroom. So here you are, Mr. Comcast executive. If you will take one month of sufferings, you can get rid of the line at the espresso machine in your bathroom. Just t- take one for everybody, buddy.
0: And and just just to make sure we're not pissed off enough, Comcast has decided that they're going to start injecting JavaScript into web pages between you and them. This is a man in the middle attack uh, propagated by your internet service provider, quote unquote, in your favor. What the crap is going on here?
1: Yes, uh, you know this is the. the Xfinity, Comcast Xfinity service, um, yeah, there's just no good reason for doing this. They are, it's a way that they can take the advertising away from the web page. And I don't even know what, I don't know how they justify this, but they just basically inject JavaScript into the page coming through their um, hotspot that, you know, I don't, I mean, how would you get away with that? I mean, could you configure no script to block that?
0: Well, yeah, if, if the, if your browser isn't rendering scripts, but okay. So here's, here's where this started. Let's back up, uh, get a little uh, context. Um, Xfinity. Comcast uh, in their magnanimous uh, benevolence said we're going to start taking a piece of bandwidth from every router that that uh, we have put in somebody's home and we're going to make it quote unquote free wifi. It's not free, I'm paying for it as a Comcast customer. I'm not a Comcast customer thankfully. Um you don't have a choice. You can't turn it off. You, there's no option to it. They're just sucking away a chunk of your bandwidth. Thank you, Comcast. And the way that, and now you, if you have a, a phone, I see it all the time now on my phones. I, I it, pretty much anywhere I am, I see, uh, Xfinity broadband, uh, Wi-Fi available on my phone. So it pretty much anywhere I go in any residence, any business, anywhere I go, I can see that available there. And if you have a Comcast, um, account, you can log in with your credentials, and boom, free Wi-Fi. It's free because you're leeching off of the people around you in the name of, of Xfinity. So that was terrible. That was a bad idea. Then they made it worse by, by creating a man-in-the-middle attack, putting JavaScript on the page that says, this page brought to you by your neighbor's leeched Wi-Fi. And somehow, <laughs> some executive thought this was a good idea.
2: Yeah, because JavaScript is so secure and it, it would never cause a problem, right?
0: This is, this is insane. Uh, I think it's just the first shot over the bow. I think Seth, you got it right on the the first step is to just make them informational. The next step is to make them paid ads, and so now they're, you're going to pay for this free service that your neighbors are already paying for. You're going to pay for them a second time by viewing ads. And yep. yes, you could block them with something like no script, but, but, uh, Xfinny could also just block the page if you've got a script blocker because they're not, they're not motivated. So, so if I go, say I run an ad on elementopi.com, there are, there are ways that I could detect if you've got ad block running and just refuse to serve you the page. I've seen it. I've gone to sites where they could do that. Most people don't because it's in their best interest for you to get the content, even if you're not seeing the ads. Comcast, in this case, Xfinity, would have no upside to letting you see this, to letting you use this Wi Fi without seeing the ads. So I, I think there's no reason they wouldn't just refuse to serve you if you don't watch their ads. Yep. Well, they do it all the time in
2: hotels. Yeah. I mean, I think about it. There's always those landing pages to- at hotels.
0: Well, a landing page is one thing. That's a redirection, and then it's over. This is hijacking the code on its way to your browser. That's a very right. different
2: thing. But it's it. I mean, it could be still serving the same. You purpose.
1: Yeah, I, I are I don't have any problem with a landing page. I, I'm sorry. Say that again, Seth. No, I think Chris was saying something.
0: Oh, I. You both were talking at the same time, and I didn't hear <laughs> either of you. Oh, oh, moving great, right on, Chris. Uh, the, Just go. No. Just go. This is good radio right here. This is the best of the best. This is why we're professionals. (laughs) (laughs) What? You were? um, Sorry? Thank you, Skype. Um, Okay. This next one, um, most of the U.S. has crappy bandwidth. Yay. The FCC, who has no ability to actually do anything, says they're going to try to fix it.
1: Yeah, one of the mm. cool things I learned from this article is the official definition of broadband is now four meg's down and one meg up. So I don't have broadband. Um, all this time I thought I did, but it turns out I don't. Um, and the FCC, you, you have chubby band. They're just highlighting the fact. Yeah, I, I have, I have crap. I the yeah, I have crappy band. Uh, yeah, but they are just highlighting the fact that. Every place that provides broadband is either a monopoly or a dualopoly, and the broadband state of America sucks, and I would highlight this by saying, come on, America, we invented the freaking internet, we got to do better. I don't know how, but we've got to do better. Yeah, and so
0: that's essentially what the uh, FCC... I don't know what else to say. That's essentially what the FCC is doing, is they're recognizing a problem, but yep. they have no standing, they have no charter to do anything about it. They're just saying, yeah, we see that this sucks. Deal with it.
2: Well, there's not a whole lot they can do. Um, I mean, they, they've they've had their hands tied for how long?
0: Yeah. It, that, it's the whole common carrier debate. Um,
2: yep. And, and I, it's I, bad I one way it, and it's bad the other. The,
0: yeah. yeah. What you run into, you always run into trouble when you have one government trying to regulate a global thing. Right? So the the FCC can regulate internet connections within the US. They have that power. But it doesn't fix the internet at large. And these net neutrality debates are are multinational in their their nature. And and every everybody who sells you bandwidth wants to double and triple dip. That's not just an American thing. So it's it's, you know, we're not gonna. We're not gonna. And, and Seth, like for example, where you live, to get you twenty-five megabits would require government funding because no private entity is going to spend the money to do it. It's not worth it to them. There aren't enough customers yep. at the end of your line to pump up your your bandwidth. There's it's just, there's just no there's no benefit to it and this this happened the telecommunications yeah, infrastructure fund tif um is by the way that's still on your phone bill if you look but they're not doing it anymore they they paid for last mile phone connections it was a it was an american government thing we are taxing anybody who uses a phone to pay for other people to have phone services there was the rural electric cooperative same thing everybody they taxed all electricity users to pay for people to get electricity and so that's that's the only way this is going to be fixed Capitalism, as much as I love capitalism, is not going to fix this problem. This is a case where Big Brother has to step in, or we all just have to suck it up. There's, there's yep. no, there's no in between. And, and no know, matter how as much, much we as I don't want complained. Big Brother to to suck it up. Yeah. As much as I don't want government involvement, I think this is one of those cases where it works. Right? Just, just like I can't build an interstate, I need a government entity to build me an interstate. I can't. Fix this bandwidth problem. Nobody can. I we. I think. I know this is. This is almost leaves a sour taste in my mouth for for me, the ultra conservative, to say this. But I think we need a government uh, program to tax people to increase bandwidth. Did I just lobby for more taxes? Yes, I did. But I think it's become that important. It's as important now as as clean water and electricity. It's become that important. It's become a fundamental base. Uh, a staple of existence. And there, and there's, capitalism can't fix this problem because there's just not enough people in Fruitvale, Texas to make it worthwhile.
2: Right. I I'm, mean, that's, I'm really that's the on my soapbox you know,
0: a lot tonight. You
1: know, <laughs> well,
0: go so, ahead, Chris. Go.
1: go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, part of the problem is the, the, Net has strayed from its roots. If the, um, if the distributed model was still in effect and if, if I had a device at my house that I could, um, catch Netflix and I could put my queue in there and you know, I, and it could load up two or three things. And while I'm gone during the day and nobody uses my internet, I could queue up a movie to watch that night. I would be more than happy to pay for Netflix, you know, um, or, and I'm just using Netflix as an example. If the, um, if the distributed model worked, I, I, I would still like to have a little more bandwidth, but you wouldn't need the, the 25 gigs to your house. You, you could get by with a much slower, a much lower number, but because we've gone to the uh, centralized, um, the centralized hub and the dumb terminal model. Um, unfortunately, the only way that works is if you have a super fast connection to every single endpoint. And since that's the, since that capitalistic model has prevailed, I am at a disadvantage. Whereas if it was a distributed model, then the disadvantage I have would be neg, neg, neg negated by the fact that I could get stuff While I wasn't there. And that's what the internet was designed for.
0: Absolutely. I can't add anything to that. Chris, what were you going to say?
2: Well, I was going to say, I know up in my area that, you know, I'm in the area where there's a whole bunch of oil booming going on and little towns in this, you know, in this side of the country or in this area of the country, you know, you had fast internet with 1.5. And so now that these big corporates are coming in and taking up bandwidth and buying bandwidth, it's even getting worse. Because you'll see you'll see times where, you know, I, I know of a couple of people that work for my company that just they can't do anything on their internet pipes at home because they're sharing nodes with large these large corporations that are taking up bandwidth. So the only way we're going to see anything is just is for federal help or federal or state help, and a lot of these towns aren't getting anything. So it's going to be, it, it's an interesting problem that I don't, I don't know what's going to help solve it for us, but it's something that we got to figure out.
0: The, the problem is that any government program never dies. Right. Uh, telecommunications, the TIF fund, for example, Telecommunications Infrastructure Fund ran out of last mile. Everybody had phone who wanted phone. So then they started taking the money and giving it to schools for this thing called E-rate. Same tax used for that. Well, there was more demand than there was money, so they started, you know, doing new regulations. Now we're we're strayed way beyond what that was for. But we started taking money from people. We can't stop taking. We're the government. We can't stop taking money for people. So if there is some sort of tax like you know the the broadband tax. In, in 2079, when everybody has terabit connections straight to their brain, that tax money is still going to be taken out and it's going to be used for something else. So that's the only reason that I'm, you know, hesitant to to say that this is a, a problem. But I think it's a problem too big for individuals or even individual corporations to solve. Right. Um. You know, maybe a new technology well, will fix this. But with our current technology, we just can't do it.
1: I don't, you know, the, the, the problem is with our current mindset and technology, we can't do it because everybody is so self-focused on, I have to get internet for me. Therefore, I'm stuck. But if people banded together and, you know, again, this is very communistic sounding, but. A group of people could come together and solve this problem for their area if which they is wanted
0: what, to. Which but is what the, the Google is, fiber thing did. You had to get X percentage of your neighbors to sign on. So yeah, that's exactly how they were approached. Right. It.
1: But try to, try to get that to happen anywhere, you know, and it just won't go because our current mindset prevents it from right. working. This is a weird <laughs> show. I just gotta say <laughs> this is a weird show. Yeah, um,
2: we're all over the place.
0: That's that that's okay. We've we've strayed into lots of stuff, but it's all it's the news of the day. Um, you know, as Paul Harvey would say, news and comment. We don't just give you the news, we comment the crap out of it. Um, <laughs> uh, um I'm gonna go with just this very last one. If you want Linux on your tablet, you might finally be able to do it.
1: Sweet. Well, I hope so. This is a petition at change.org and my tablet that I love. I love my little Asus T100. It is awesome. I mean, it has Windows on it. Um, but I don't hold that against it. I put, uh, I put classic shell on it. So Windows 8 was usable, but it is so locked down. It's a 64 bit tablet, but it only has a 32 bit, uh, UF, uh, UFI on it. So. Yeah, UEFI. It has a 32-bit UEFI. So if you want to wipe this and install Linux, it's this tremendous headache. Like I took it with me to LinuxCon and I asked some of the people and and they were like, oh, that guy from Intel who works on this stuff, (laughs) you should go talk to him. He can help you. So, you know, the Intel guy, I handed him my tablet and I said, help me put Linux on this. And he looked at this and goes, oh, that would be, Oh, wait, you have, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Uh, so, um, and it's apparently a pretty simple fix. They would just have to update the firmware to a 64-bit firmware. And it's a problem they have fixed because they're about to relaunch basically the exact same specs, but with 64-bit firmware. So if they would do an update for these devices, then that would lower the, the roadblock and I would be able to wipe, uh, windows and put Linux on it without risk, risking destroying my machine doing everything right. And actually the petition has gained like 25 supporters in the last two hours but and it's change.org so you know if it reaches its goal it doesn't mean anything would happen but it's just a way to again the first half the battle is quantifying the problem so if we can get this half done we only got seven or eight halves left before we can really see something happening (laughs) but um it's a problem that exists and it's one that impacts the great gooey kid of everyday Linux. And so we need <laughs> to get this petition, uh, signature count jacked up. Not quite as important as seeing Weird Al in the Super Bowl halftime show, but only slightly less <laughs> well known would be the need to fix the 32 bit, uh, firmware issue with these, uh, Clover Trail and, and
0: the, the what's going to happen, Seth, is they're going to fix it, like you said, and they're going to fix it in the next model. So they don't want you to do it with the old model. They've already made all the money they'll ever make on that model. They want you to use the next model. So right. I don't think 200 petition, uh, two hundred signatures is going to do much. But uh, hey, what the heck? It's in the notes. If you want to support it, go for it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, or yeah. I just I came across this and I thought, hey, you know, the Bay Trail processor that I have and again, you know, this isn't an Uber maxed out state of the art laptop, but it is great for what I need. Um and it could do a little more but it's it's awesome and, and unfortunately it was designed as a tablet yeah. to be thrown away rather than upgraded in any practical way. Um so I would love for them to um unlock it because tablets, tablets, tablets want, want to, to be, be free. free i mean every, you know <laughs> electrons want to be free data wants to be free well data wants to be human but that's another story uh, sorry i'm gonna be quiet
0: <laughs> okay so. all right so let's move on let that's I, I don't even i didn't count that's a bunch of news stories right there i think that's good let's move on to this week in tech history what happened on 9-9-2001
1: Yes, at exactly 1.4640 UTC, the Unix bilennium is reached, marking the beginning of the use of the 10-digit decimal Unix timestamp that happened this week in history, Geeky. 2001. <laughs> Just a little bit. Hey, come on, I went Star Trek, you know, last week, so this week I throw in some uber science to kind of so balance it. So, this all
0: audience right. probably knows this, but it's interesting the way computers keep time. Um, so, let's say your computer boots up for the very first time. It's got a clock on board that was set somewhere in the factory, and who knows what it is, all right? So, it goes out, and it's it goes out to the internet and says, what time is it? And it finds a server... And the server says, well, it's so many seconds past the the beginning of when we started measuring time. That's how you calculate time on a computer. You don't you don't actually say what time it is. You say it's this many seconds past when we first started keeping time. that's the the epoch, right? And that's why some machines, if they're, if they're really old, when like the battery goes dead, it'll come up and it'll say it's, it's 1970. Cause that's where Linux started counting. Or, right. or it might say it's 1990 because that's where some BIOS has started. That's the problem. Everybody counts differently. So you gotta know what your system is. You gotta know when the epoch began. You gotta know, uh, how you measure time and what the slices of time are. And then you gotta know where you are. So, Um, For example, you don't say, what time is it in um, Atlanta, Georgia? You say, what time is it? And the system says, well, in Greenwich, England, it is now 3.15 a.m. Okay, well, my time zone table says I'm in Eastern time, so let me subtract 5 from that. It's, It's really a ridiculous amount of hoops to go through just to figure out what time it is. Um, yeah. and so that's why this, the, this thing that we can track exactly when it started happening because you're counting the number of seconds from a certain point. And so when you hit 10 digits, that, that was, that happened on nine, nine, 2001 at one one UTC little history lesson for you there. It, it's a, just a little one. And that's also why yep. your computer sucks at keeping time, by the way. Yep. All computers do, because um, there's not a dedicated, most systems don't have a dedicated clock, like your watch has a dedicated timekeeping system. Computer doesn't. Computer's doing lots of things. And and as most of you, I'm sure, know, a computer has to be interrupted from what it's doing to do anything. All computers, All modern computer systems are interrupt-driven. They have to be interrupted from doing nothing to do something. Then they have to be interrupted from doing that something to go back to doing nothing. And so keeping time. You can tell
1: a lazy person invented the computer.
0: <laughs> yeah, a computer will just keep doing whatever you tell it to do until you tell it to do something else. Um, and so that means that every, every now and then it, it updates the clock just when it gets around to it. So it's not yep. uncommon for a clock to drift 30 or 40 seconds in a day. If you had a watch that drifted 30 seconds in a day, you would return that sucker. But our PCs do it all the time, and so they've compensated for that by I uh, like Linux has this really complicated network time protocol that that checks the time and and uses some super fancy math to figure out roughly how off your clock gets and so backs off how often it asks based on how much your how wrong your clock is. And so that you're not killing the servers. It's it's really cool if you look into it, but it's all about, hey, how many seconds is it since nineteen seventy? Well, I nuts. just kinda launched into that there. I didn't mean to do that, but uh you, <laughs> you you guys got me wound up tonight about politics, about computer geekery, about Star Trek. <laughs> I just I'm all over the place. Yeah,
2: it's all right. It's fun. That's it, but it's a it that's something that most people don't realize, is that your computer doesn't actually tell time. Yeah. It calculates it.
0: Your clock, your bedroom clock, the, the clock radio that you've got beside your bed, doesn't actually keep time either. It doesn't have a. It counts the cycles of AC. So in the U.S., uh, alternating current cycles sixty times a second. Well, they just have a counter in there. Every time it's cycled sixty seconds, one second clicks over on the clock. Dumb as a rock. It, all it can do is count. It has absolutely no idea what time it is. It's just counting AC cycles. Yeah, which and. is because that's so important, um, electric companies have to keep, they have to speed up and slow down their generators because a generator under load slows down. That's the physics of it. So that w- late, uh, late at night when people aren't using electricity, they run their generators faster to catch up with it. Also that your clock radio can work.
2: <laughs>
0: More stuff you didn't know, didn't want to know.
2: It's good. All right, it's good uh, I'm going so. to start
0: this. I'm going to start the tips of the week show with my own tip this week. I never oh. bring one, but this is an Android app that has been bringing me so much pleasure. Uh, I thought I would uh, to let our audience know about it. It's an Android app called 500 Fire Paper, and uh, uh. it uses a website called 500px. And if you're on Android, it goes out and it grabs a really high resolution picture. And sticks it on your phone as the, as the wallpaper. At whatever time cycle you pick. I have mine set for 30 minutes. These are really great photos, and you can pick all sorts of different categories. You can pick, um, landscapes. You can pick, uh, performing arts. You can pick cityscapes. You can pick nudes. There's a not safer work category if you're into that. Um, and you can set it to update every, you know, five minutes, every 30 minutes, whatever. Um, and so it's just, it's really cool. Throughout the day, I'll pick up my phone and I'll look at it, and there's this really cool image there. And, and it's, 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 it's a, it's a little artgasm. Every time I pick it up, I look at it and go, wow, that's really cool. Okay. Now back to my Gmail. <laughs> um, so check it out. 500 fire paper. If you're into that. Uh, now Chris, what do you have for us this week?
2: Well, that's just the link to the stuff that I'm going to have to buy.
0: <laughs> the, uh, the ghost peppers. Uh-oh. Yep.
2: I went out and I found one. The place that, uh, sells it that I can get it to me within a couple of days. So well, it's I, I'll be able to maybe work my way up to a full one by the time we actually do it.
0: Oh, I don't want to be your plumber.
2: Uh. <laughs> well, I'll just have to make sure I only do any of my, te- my uh, workouts, so to speak, um, <laughs> when I'm not going to be anywhere near work itself because I think that would be rough on my way to work. Oh
0: all right seth what do you have to bring down the productivity of the american workforce this week
1: oh this one will do it this is a slideshow of 22 things blowing up in slow motion so if you click on this link um you will be presented with the first one is slow motion car explosion and then you can go through and just see other slow motion explosions um I thought it would be fun, you know, just kind of sit and watch and go boom, very slowly.
0: <laughs> you know, that never gets old. Watching stuff nope. blow up in slow motion never gets old. Mythbusters have been doing it for a decade now and it's great every time.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, like um this particular the second one here, they're like um shooting apples, shooting bottles of Gatorade, bottles of water, um all this stuff blowing up in slow motion. It's its awesome stuff.
0: I don't think it's around so anymore, but there was a whole show about motion. that uh, on Discovery Channel. I forget what it was called, but that, that's all the whole show was. They had these, you know, 100,000 frames per second cameras, and they would break stuff in slow motion, and it was awesome. Um, so, <laughs> right? Oh, I love it when you can see the pressure wave.
2: Yes, the pressure wave is always cool. Yeah. When you get to the third one, you get to Pressure see... Pressure waves are um, what kills you. Yeah. On the th- the third of the the 22, you get to see a slow motion flame slap. So someone lights their fist on fire and slaps you with it in slow motion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who, who would even think of that? Hey, I've, I've got some wider fluid. I've got a slow motion camera. Can I hit you in the face? <laughs> okay <And> he's bearded <laughs> that's and a he's fine bearded. idea bubba
2: <laughs> can you imagine that oh. he's got a beard on so man that that, that would instantly have that hair singe he's famous now
0: yeah <sighs> all right seth i think you've uh successfully brought down the productivity of the workplace congratulations
1: uh, hooray woohoo I'm looking better to those employers all the time. (laughs) All right, so this is the
0: part of the show where I tell you where you can let me know how wrong I was throughout this show. Was I too liberal? Was I too conservative? Was I just plain stupid? Let me know over at elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That'll send a nicely formatted email to me that gets priority in my inbox. Uh, But if you want to be the rebel and uh, use your own email client, send an email to edl at elementop.com. That goes to all three of us at one time, so I won't be able to filter your messages if you think that's happening. If you yourself want to be on the show in a very real way, you can leave us a voicemail over at uh, our Google voice account, 559IMOP anywhere in North America. And, uh, you can leave me a voicemail and we'll play it on the show. If you're outside the U.S., just make a little recording in uh, whatever file format you like and send it over to me and we'll do that. We like your feedback. In fact, like I said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a whole show about it. Um, and you know, this is not just our show. We could get together and complain. Without all the technology, we could just get <laughs> on the phone and do it. We do it for you because th- this is your show. So let us know what you think. ElementOP.com is the place to do that. And uh, Seth, Chris, as always, bang up job. Thanks for being the great host. You're the best host I can afford. And uh, and we thank you for that. Uh, you out there, the listener, thank you for giving us your uh, time every week. And we know that we're claiming more of it as time goes out by. But thank you for, for doing it. And we really appreciate it. If you would go to wherever you get your downloads and rate us, whatever system you've got, if it's, uh, iTunes, that would be awesome. Um, if it's, uh, Stitcher, great. If it's wh- wherever it is, just go let people know. Send an email, send a link out to, uh, you know, 5,000 of your closest friends and let them know about the show. Also, if you hey, want to kick yo. a couple of bucks my way, elementopening.com slash Patreon, you can become a patron of the show for as little as a penny. Uh, And every penny is appreciated and does count. So, uh, again, LMNOP.com slash Patreon where you can uh, step up and and actually pay a little bit for the show if that's what you want to do. If not, that's fine. I don't blame you. We're probably not worth paying for. But uh, thanks for being a listener. And we'll see you next week because that ends this episode of Everyday Luxe.